0: All right, Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, and consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Light passage for today, right? Good one. How many people know this passage or have heard of this passage? Okay, a few of us. This passage uh, is going to be the next part of our debunked series. What we're doing is we're taking parts of Scripture uh, that may be popular, uh, that might have one meaning or a wider meaning to some of us, and we're diving into the context and the culture of the Scripture and parsing out the way that we think God might be using it in our lives today. So I said, um, last week if you were here, I said Scripture is filled with really bad interpretations, right? And if you remember, I said it's like a game of telephone. Y'all remember, if you were here, me saying this, I said it starts off like when we play telephone, a kid whispers, I like ice cream. And then it gets to the last kid, and it's like, Sally's pregnant, remember? Remember this? Yeah. That's what happens when we interpret Scripture. Okay. The same kind of thing is happening. So we want to debunk some of these poor interpretations. And this is the one we're going to do today. Submit to the government. You know, Scripture is really, really political. And as much as I try to stay away from it, We cannot. We cannot, especially in this day and time. In fact, I think Scripture informs us in terms of how we are a political presence in the world today as followers of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I'm happy that I get to preach this today on a day where we do uh, child dedications because I believe this is a way that we want to raise up our children as they live and work and have their being here in America. Okay, I think it's a good passage for us to talk about. And so in order for me to talk about this passage, I have to go all the way back. In fact, I need to give it like a 30,000-foot view, all right? And so what I want you all to do is I want you all to listen to a few stories with me. Are you willing to hear a few stories with me? Yeah. Good. This is good. I'm glad for it. And I want to start all the way back in Genesis, okay? And when we go back to Genesis, I think we're going to get the way um, that people imagine and reimagine God when it comes to, and I'm going to use a very specific term, when it comes to empires. Okay, we're going to talk about empires today, all right? How many people have heard of Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, Okay. I'm going to read this scripture for you. It says this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. All right. Why did Cain attack his brother and kill him? Well, Abel was over the livestock. And God appreciated the livestock sacrifices a little bit more than what Cain had. Cain had all the grains and the fruits and the vegetables. For those of us who are meat eaters, we sort of get why God would like one more than the other, right? Um, But what happens is what Cain saw immediately is Cain sees that Abel has more power than him, more power. And so immediately what Cain does is he says, I'm going to use, I'm going to exert my power, so that I can gain with the power that Abel has. And that's exactly what happens. Power is exerted. Now, why is power exerted? It's it's exerted in the name of jealousy, yes, but also in the name of uh, looking better or having more success, and also in the name of um, um, being favored, right? So when we think about empires, empires talk a lot about being favored, okay? Well, God punishes that. God punishes it, and God says, you are going to go out to the land of Nod, And the land of Nod, I just love the translation, it means you're going to go out there. That's all it means, out there. And so what does Cain do with this land of Nod? Well, I'm going to give you the scripture that's going to sum up everything. It's going to tell us exactly how God feels about empires right here, and it's going to clear everything up, and it's this. Cain made love to his wife. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Cleared everything up, right? Y'all feel good about that. This is where I want us to really pay attention, okay? The city of Enoch that came built, okay, this city, had a, got a new name. The new name that I got was Babylon. Who's heard of the city of Babylon? The city of Babylon became an empire called the Babylonian Empire. The book of, are we following? We're following, right? I'm gonna take us down a little, little thing here. The Babylonian Empire, the book of Genesis, was written while Israel was being oppressed, enslaved, killed, and hurt, By the Babylonian Empire. So, what we see here, the writers of scripture, the writers who have been inspired by God, being civilly disobedient. Now, how are they being civilly disobedient? Well, when they create Cain, right, when they create the story of Cain and Abel, they make Cain directly tied to the empire. Do we see what they're doing here? Subversive. Civilly disobedient. It's a wink, wink, nod, nah, nod nah to the people of Israel that we don't stand for these kind of enemies. We don't stand for people who look for power. We don't stand for people who, to exert their power upon others. And it gives us our first glimpse into what God thinks uh, about empires. And what I, what I think God thinks and what I think the writers are trying to tell us is that when God sees empires, there is something to subvert. There is something to change. And in fact, when we look at Israel, we know that God wants to build mighty nations through blessing, not through exerting power. And so we get this story early on, but that's not the only story we get because we get another story too about the Babylonian Empire. And it's a story you all know. How many people went to Sunday school growing up? You, know, you, you read this in Sunday school? It was in your little children's Bible? The Beastie Boys tell about it in their iconic Paul boutique, Paul's boutique. Um, it's the story of Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. You know that story, right? How about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got their names changed by the empire. Why? Because empires, that's what they do, right? They take culture. They push culture away. And what they do is they want culture to be all around nationalism. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lost their Jewish names. Their names actually means friend of the king, guide of the king, and servant of the king. Interesting, right? So who was this king? This king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said to all the people in the Babylonian Empire, he said, hey, listen, when the Babylonian Empire national anthem gets played, I want you all to bow down to some statues of me, okay? Bow down to those statues, and then when you're done bowing down, we're going to get up and we're going to sing some patriotic songs. That sounds kind of familiar, right? Does it sound a little eerie? A little bit, a little bit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go, no, we're not going to do that. It's interesting how I read scripture over time. When I was a kid, I was like, they're just being obedient to God. And now I go, yeah, they're being obedient to God by not being nationalists. It's kind of interesting how that changes as an adult. I see things a little differently. And so they get thrown into a fire. The fire is burning seven times hotter because King Nebuchadnezzar is a narcissist, and he's really upset, right? And so he's super upset, and what happens? We know the story. What happens? They They didn't get burned. They're saved by God. There's angels in this place. And once again, when I read my scriptures and I weigh that people who write the scripture, imagine or reimagine God, we see that God inspires them in such a way where they see that, that empires are something to be subverted, something to be changed, and that nations become mighty through blessing rather than through exerting power. Want to know the first time we, we read in our scriptures the word devil? It's not back in Genesis, it's not there, not with the serpent. It's not about some angel who falls down from heaven. That's a really, really poor interpretation of Ezekiel, by the way. I'm going to read to you the first time we read about the devil. And it says this, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, how the oppressor has come to an end, how his fury has ended, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You know what morning star, son of dawn translates to in the Hebrew? It translates into the Lucifer. Who are they calling the devil here? The king of Babylon. The first time someone in our scriptures is called the devil, they're talking about the king of an empire. That should speak to us a little bit. That should speak to what empires look like. Jesus shows up a couple thousand years later. or Actually, a few hundred years later, Jesus shows up. And Jesus, he speaks to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, were, 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 um, they were super religious, but I'm tired of the trope that they were the Jewish people and the Jewish people killed Jesus. The reason that the Pharisees are called the Pharisees is because they were in cahoots with the empire. And by the way, Jesus, and I've said this a thousand and a half times, Jesus was around when the Roman Empire existed, right? right? So he's part of an empire too. He's in an empire as well. And this is what happens Jesus talks to these Pharisees who are in cahoots with the empire, who are nationalists. He talks to them, and this is what he says. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. That's what Jesus says to these Pharisees who are in cahoots with the empire. Now, when I used to read this scripture, I used to read it and go, you know what? I bet those Pharisees are sinning just like I do. They're drinking Mad Dog 2020 in the woods. (laughs) and then what I recognize is this I recognized that the first time someone's called the devil the first time is by a king and then Jesus says you worship your father the devil you worship the empire you've missed me you've missed the goodness that I bring because you're too busy looking at Rome and that changes everything for me because what I see, once again, through Jesus, if, if, if Jesus is God incarnate, if we want to know what God thinks, we look at Jesus, and what Jesus does is Jesus says, hey, this empire, that's something to subvert. This is something to change. In fact, we can be mighty by blessing one another. That's how we can be mighty, by blessing. And then Jesus is killed by that empire. In fact, Caiaphas, the religious leader of the day, tells Pilate, says, hey, we have no king but Caesar. It's not Jesus. It's nationalism. And once again, throughout of my scriptures, it's become very, very clear that when God gets what God wants, God doesn't want an empire that exerts power. He wants a nation that becomes mighty through blessing. So this brings us to Romans 13. It brings us back to where Paul is. It brings us to a place where Paul knows his scriptures backward and forward. He knows what God wants, and yet he preaches this. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, And pay attention to what I'm about to say. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, he uses the word God quite a bit here. Can we agree on that? We can, all right? Now, in the time of the Roman Empire, which is exactly where Paul lived, in Rome, right? We're talking about Rome. This is where Paul lived. There was only one God. Y'all know who that one God was? That one God was who? It was Caesar. It was Caesar. So if Paul had written here, we must do what Caesar says. Caesar has the final authority. Caesar does this, Caesar does that. I could see us obeying. I could see that being the case, but he doesn't. He says God. In fact, if the Roman authorities had this in their hands, they would have seen this as an act of treason because it was a crime to say that anybody else is God besides Caesar. So what Paul's doing here is he's hearkening all the way back to Genesis, that little subversive wink-wink, nod-nod, let's be civilly disobedient, right? But what does it mean to bless, to become a mighty nation by blessing? What does that mean? What does it look like? I think it means to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Let's read about it. Usually, and I say this all the time, when we're trying to dissect and we're trying to, to interpret scripture, it's always good to go back so we're going back to Romans, okay, and this is what Paul says. He says, hey, Rome, Romans, this is the way in which I want you to live in the midst of this empire. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. More with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That sounds terrible, but here's what it means, and this is super simple. When When you put burning coals on something, you are purifying it. That's what you are doing. You are purifying it. What Paul is saying is he's saying, do we want to be blessing? Do we want to be a blessing in the midst of this empire? Do we want to build a mighty nation through blessing and being holy? Do these things, which, by the way, look a lot like Jesus. Am I right? They look a lot like Jesus. Do these, and by doing these things, you are going to change the mind of the empire. You are going to change the mind. And you're going to switch from being, uh, caring about nationalism to caring about the lowest of the low. And you're going to switch from caring about power. And you're going to be all about withholding power for the sake of others. These are the ways of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul teaches us. And then he goes on and he says, hey, so submit to God, wink, wink, nod, nod. And do what God wants in the midst of this, wink, wink, nod, nod. What does it mean for us to be holy? I, you know, I was born in America. I'm here in America. I know that in 2003, the chief of staff for George Bush said, America is an empire. And because we are an empire, we get to make the rules. We get to decide what happens. 2003, that was said. Uh, most of us in this room have benefited from living in America. So here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to trash this country. It's not the goal. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, sometimes in the midst of an empire, it is up to us to be a blessing. It is up to us to heap burning coals. It is up to us to change minds. It is up to us to do those things when we see things not being done the way they should. And I think about what's holy. What's holy? Ten years ago, my wife and I went to India. We went into this beautiful temple. We walk into this beautiful temple, and they say, hey, will you please take off your shoes because this is holy ground. We said, yeah, and we walked in, and it was holy. There was worship. There was singing. There was pe- people being fed, people being cared for. I loved it. It was holy. A few years later, I'm upstate New York. I'm at this monastery, and, and there's a sign on the door. It says, please take off your shoes before you walk into this monastery. It is holy. And I take off my shoes, and I walk in, and it is holy, Praying, we're singing, there's this communion with God. Sean and Katie, who go to this church, in fact, Katie's on our leadership team, their wedding is the most memorable wedding for me because at their wedding, they said, This union, this perfect love is holy. So we're going to ask that at our wedding, you take your shoes off. And we all took our shoes off because their wedding was holy. I'm on this book tour right now. Y'all know when I take my shoes off most of the time? At the airport. You know why I take my shoes off at the airport? Because empires worship national security. And empires worship nationalism and us against them, and especially them if they're people of color. That's what empires do. And I'm not saying we don't want to be safe. And I'm not saying we should start a militia and go live in Idaho somewhere and do whatever it is we need to do. But what I'm saying is it's okay to critique our country and it's okay to say that we want this country to be a holy place. And it's okay to say we're going to bless others and in the process heap burning, he- burning coals on, on our heads. So I think about the salt march in India, right? I think about Gandhi leading the civil, civil disobedience uh, uh, where, where England attacks, and, and we see the barbarism of the British Empire, and it leads to India's independence. And I think about uh, civil rights leaders walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, uh, creating a catalyst for the civil rights movement that we're still fighting today. And I think about those who were enslaved in our own country, and I think about the people that housed those who were enslaved. And I think about people who housed uh, Jews in the midst of the Holocaust or people that housed Armenians in the midst of the Turkish genocide, and that was an illegal thing, and yet they did it because they knew it was a blessing. It heaps burning coals. And I think about Stonewall 50 years ago and the pain that people felt where they were like, we want to be treated as human beings. We want the same equity, and how we get to celebrate that right now, but this fight's not done. There are still coals to be heaped on heads. There are still blessings that can make this nation mighty. And so the question becomes, what do we do? And how do we teach our kids to do it? So I don't know the answers, but I do have the questions. And the questions that I have for us today are, for whom do we create equity? And in the process, heap burning coals on their heads. And create the blessing that God wants in our mighty nation? And for whom do we feed or whom do we clothe or whom do we love that maybe is unloved and in doing so heap burning coals on their heads and in doing so become the mighty nation that God intends? Who do we, who do we give favor to that might not have favor and in doing so heap burning coals? Who do we bring peace to who might not have peace and in doing so, heat-burning coals. And in doing so, what we do is we recognize that God's will the entire time is to build a mighty nation through blessing. And we get to be a part of that blessing because that is the kingdom of God. When Jesus was killed by the empire, on every tomb at that time, they put a stamp. And that stamp was a stamp of the empire. It had a picture of Caesar on it. And it basically showed everybody in that time that even in death, you were allegiance to the empire. And I can only imagine. And it's a wonderful picture. Mary Magdalene, she's walking to the tomb. And she sees the tomb open. And Jesus isn't in there. And the seal of the empire is broken. And the kingdom of God is here. May it be so for us. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you, um, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your inspired word. Thank you For asking us to bless thank you for that and as hard as it is as it is for us to do sometimes I pray for our country I'm thankful for the good that comes from it and I pray that you would allow us to to change its mind to heap coals to bless for the parts that that need critiquing and need work Lord don't let us shy away from this call as we know it brings your kingdom to this place and when it becomes scary when it becomes hard or difficult Lord, I thank you for the grace that comes through the kingdom of God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.